I'm Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. Before we jump into today's podcast, I'd love for you to check out my band, Run With It. That's at Run With It Band, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, anywhere you follow people at, at Run With It Band. You can also check us out at runwithitband.net. We have our EP on Spotify and all the streaming platforms, How to Start a Fire. Make sure you guys check that out. On today's episode, we have speaker, coach, and author of How to Hire and Keep Great People, Mitch Gray. Mitch Gray has combined over two decades of experience as a former pastor, life coach, entrepreneur, community developer, and creator to develop a brand of leadership that is at its deepest level, human. Taking his heart for inspiring others and his passion for empowering leaders, Mitch teaches business leaders how to recruit great people, develop top talent, and design empowering culture. Mitch is the creator and host of the Mitch Gray podcast, How to Hire and Keep Great People show. It's coming spring of 2022. He's also author, leadership consultant, and a highly regarded speaker. In this episode today is Mitch's second appearance on the podcast, actually. Uh, his The link for his first show is in the podcast notes. In the first episode, he shares a story of of losing his voice as a touring musician and how that propelled him into the world of becoming an author and business consultant. Make sure you go check that out. In today's episode, we unpack building a culture of creativity and the dangers of hustle culture. He also asks the question, what is the real work? And we explore how if we understand the answer to that question, we will actually save a lot of time and find more joy. He also gives some practical tools for protecting your creativity and productivity and how to lead others by inviting them into their own greatness. It's a great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Uh, good, man. Good. Yeah. It's I'm in the middle of my, I'm trying to work a three month, uh, two week off cycle this year. Oh, nice. I've, I've been wanting to do that for a couple of years and I say a couple, like five or six. Um, <clears throat> so I just started that this week. I've been kind of more successful than I have been in the past, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's. I, um, I imagine two solid weeks off could be pretty tough for someone who's driven like you are. I I, I feel like yeah. we're similar in some regards. So yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, and and driven is a positive word for workaholic. Um, so. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Like we're we're getting ready to go to the Dominican uh, for my oldest for his graduation present, and we're gone for like. I think we're out of the country for like five or six days and gone like seven or eight. And I just keep, I'm excited about it. It's going to be really fun. It's just my wife and I and him. But at the same time, I'm like, like I see where the work becomes an addiction. Cause I'm like, well, maybe I could just take my, my computer. And then when they all take naps, cause I don't really nap a whole lot. I'll, I'll work while they're napping and and it's a (laughs) win-win. Yeah. It's um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And it's, you know, you, you know me well enough to know one of my favorite authors is Thich Nhat Hanh, who wasn't so much an author as he was um, a man full of incredible wisdom. Right. And someone is my guess happened, you know, happened to be a scribe for him. I mean, I'm sure he actually wrote a few of those books, but you can just tell how they publish them. That Yeah. I mean, they even have books that blatantly say these are the, you know, this is this is the teaching that Tick did on, uh, you know, in in Berkeley, California, at you know, 
University of California in May of 1980. And so they just took his teachings and recorded, which is smart, by the way. But right. it's really interesting because, you know, the, the thing that you're identifying that I, I do think driven, innovative people struggle with is um, thinking that having drive and creativity and building equates to a lot of hours mm-hmm. and not taking time off. And I bring up Thich Nhat Hanh because anytime I read his stuff, you know, I'm like, this man uh, basically helped shift the United States mindset on the war in Vietnam. Wow, um, I didn't realize that. He got blackballed from his home country because of fighting against the war in Vietnam. Uh, he and his peers, AKA Martin Luther King Jr. and many others, hmm. um, were traveling the world, meeting with world governments to try and stop the war in Vietnam. Wow. All the while, he's spending probably two or three hours a day meditating and slowly walking, looking at the lotus plant. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> It's just like, like how okay. the hell did you like change the world and you still had yeah. three hours to meditate? I'm I'm carving out yeah. 14 minutes right. currently in I my know, life, dude. and I'm like, all right, I, I feel good. <laughs> and then it's like, oh crap, we get to the end of the week, and I'm like, I didn't accomplish everything I wanted to accomplish. And it's like, I, again, I hear the voices of Thich Nhat Han and you know other people, and it's like, yeah, but what is the real work? You know, like at the end of the day, oh yeah. You know, it's just like, and, and I'm the same as you, man. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to take my computer or minimum my iPad with my keyboard case. So I can, you know, if I need to work, I, I can't just take my soft shell case that protects. And it's like, at the end of the day, what is the real work, you know? And, and I'm not saying this uh, accusing you, obviously, because we know each other no, really well. And I, but at the end of the day, on a, family, on, my on, a fam- too, so. on a family vacation, what's the real work, you know, when, and I told right. someone that the other day, I was like, yeah, what, one way I've really tried to empower this three week, uh, three month, two week deal is to actually tell people I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I've never told people I'm doing it. And a part of the reason so I've never they started encroaching pe- on your two weeks, right? Is well, that well, what's no, happening? Because the, the real reason I've never told people I'm doing it is because I didn't want people to know that I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I feel you. Because I knew I couldn't do it. And so this year I was like, no, I'm actually going to tell people I'm doing it. So maybe I'll hold myself. If I tell someone, then I'll be more apt to hold myself again. Now, there have been some uncontrollables like, you know, um, one one piece of work I do in contract I have. They they dictate, you know, when I have meetings and stuff sometimes. So like I had a conference I had to attend this week. And so that was 12 hours or whatever. And so there's those little things. But I don't know. I had a friend yesterday that was like, wow, you seem really kind of like, like down this week. I was like, I'm not down. Like I feel really good. I'm just trying to push myself to, I have to literally push myself to re-trigger my brain to not constantly be thinking this needs done. That needs done. What am I, what article am I going to write next week? What clients am I going to pitch next week? And it takes about three to four to five days for me to seem like I'm kind of down and out but really what i'm doing is kind of stepping into the cave and being like no i have to prepare myself to turn it off 
because have that tunnel vision to focus yeah. in a way. Because you know, dude, it just it doesn't turn off on its own when when you're a what I call a blue blood creative. In other words, it's just in your DNA. Yeah. The curse to that is it just <laughs> you sleep through the night, but you're thinking the whole time. Or right. Um, you know, back when I was writing songs all the time, I was writing songs in my sleep constantly yeah, I, mean, well, I wake just up at three in the off. morning and i i see i find myself literally still crunching some of the ideas that i went to sleep thinking about so i wonder if 100%. my brain even turned off you know and you you said that concept you know what is the real work you know because that's it's interesting it's like sometimes work is just it becomes valuable just for its own sake like work for work's sake as opposed to actually moving the ball forward and you know for example like that trip it's like it's his it's his graduation trip that means in two months after that he's going to college and then relationships change you know significantly um and yeah asking long term what is the real work and it's interesting too because even like day to day we talk about like meditation I, I keep coming back to that. I'm definitely not there, but it's something yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm scratching the surface on and, and realizing honestly being present in, in, in that same concept of meditation is, is kind of the real work because even like when it comes to details and just getting, you know, when you got like the to-do list and you got to fire out like an hour straight of contracts or whatever it is, right. Even in that moment, the more I'm focused and the more like I'm in control of my own emotions and my, my thoughts, the more effective I am. And so then I right. find it takes me 30 minutes to get it done, where if I'm not, it takes me right. two, three hours to get it done. And it's like, oh, if I just would have spent more time, yeah. you know, calming myself down, focusing, getting control yeah. of my, my own mind and heart, hell, I could have had a five hour day instead of 10, you know? <laughs> and, and after that 10 hour day, you're still thinking about it. Whereas on the, yes. on the day of, on the day of concision and precision, you did well enough that you let, you let it go, you know? Right. It's, yeah, uh, it's, uh, by the way, it's I, I have no idea if we've started, but we just dove in. So oh, we're I going. really, we're, we're good. <laughs> Cause that's, that's good I stuff. Remember, and I remember last time we got like 10, 20 minutes in. And I mean, you know, like a lot of people on your show, we, we already have a relationship. And so sometimes it's like, okay, we're going or, but you know, the, the crazy thing, the crazy thing that people may not know about you and I is from, from the first time we met in person at the pizza parlor in downtown, mm -hmm. um, Kansas city. Yeah. Which is no is longer there. It did not survive COVID oh. sadly. So Bummer. that, that particular, I mean, one, I can but... kind of see that with that pizza parlor, but that was a cool place. Um, <laughs> I honestly think the conversation between you and I was, was more, uh, was better than the pizza, but the pizza was still okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's crazy because there's those people in life that from day one, it's this, and you know, that's that my, my friend Scott was with me on that trip and you know, right. he, he, he's not, he's not as much of the deep thinker. And, you know, I, I just remember you and I going on for like 45 minutes and we got done, <laughs> you know, and Scott and I were like heading back to our, our motel and he's like, man, you and Miguel, you know, really hit it off. And I think we had, you and I had talked like via text quite a bit or something. I don't remember for sure, but yeah, I think it was um, text and Instagram from yeah, there yeah. and then yeah. finally seeing it in person and yeah i remember that like it just meandered through leadership concepts to buddhism to atheism to everything like, man like loving people and how do you actually serve people like yeah. all all the 
all the things and and that's yeah. what i've enjoyed about it and and i enjoy like getting to talk to folks like you who are wrestling through these these concepts right so yeah, yeah. you you're yeah. building this business you you have so many facets going on your book just came out well now it's yeah. how many how many months now right. it released in august so it's been, august right it's, so we're yeah, six seven months, months. Something, something like that you know so you're <laughs> what month are we in i'm not even sure some days i'm like i don't know i can't believe it's april like I'm, i know bro. i'm just like what the like, what the hell how did that happen but uh the fact that you're building all these things so it's not just like yeah. theory for you you're trying to figure right. out how do you live it out in your real life how do you be a better dad you know and and then watching you transition because i know you have your kids are older and out of the house i'm just yeah. about to step into that transition it's it's yeah. uh always cool to learn from you in that but but yeah that that idea of of what is the real work you know really really pops out for me in in everything you said because it, it does seem like even we're, we're wrestling with creativity as we go into writing right now yeah. within the band and we've been wrestling with the same thing where it's like we could like force ourselves to sit in a room by ourselves and like be like a slave driver about it and i've had seasons like that in writing um, right. And honestly, I, I think it was beneficial for that season. But what ended up happening is then over time, I had to find a new process, a new way. Um, and that's where <laughs> we're talking about the concept of ideas and creativity. And that's what Daniel's talking about it yeah. a lot, our drummer, and thinking of your your ideas and your creativity. And I wonder even if you can apply it to work. Think of it as like one of your kids. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, so you're you discipline your kids, you, you set up structure for your kids, but you also, you know, want to take your kids out to explore the world. You know, you, you also want to just have fun with your kids. You, so it's yeah. like, if we're always in this like hustle, hustle, hustle mindset, which I love hustle, it's my natural tendency. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, it's like we stopped doing the real work. Yeah. Um, it reminded me my, so I, every year I make a personal vision book, um, and by 2022, the first thing I wrote on my personal vision, I read this every day. It's also full of daily mantras and stuff that I use it for. But nice. uh, the first statement I wrote for 2022 on my personal vision is focus on the work at hand daily. Mm. And that really mattered to me because, again, as a creative, there, oftentimes I feel like creativity and entrepreneurship don't go hand in hand. Um, and the reason I say that is it's one thing to be creative. It's another thing to do, to use the creativity so effectively and so well that you can build a business at it. Mm. And the reason That's I say those often don't go in hand is it's the old saying, you know, starving artists and, but, but it's the but romantic it's so notion of creativity, yes. right? <laughs> And it's not so, it's not so different in business because the majority of businesses that are begun fail, right? right? They don't make it. And the reason they don't make it is because they have an idea, AKA creativity, but they don't have a plan and a strategy to make that really succeed. And so the other thing about creativity that makes it a little bit challenging is if you are a creative, very rarely do you just have one idea. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. Ben Franklin had over like, I don't know, 10,000 patents and inventions. I, you yes. know, everyone knows those, <laughs> everyone knows those people that changed the world for the one thing that changed the world. What they don't usually know is the 10 to 12 to 15 to 20 to 30,000 things that they did 
Absolutely. either didn't work as well or didn't work at all. And you see and that so, a lot in the business world too, of a lot 100%. of older entrepreneurs I've met, they, you know, one of the first ones I got to talk to when I first started touring and then from there just kind of opened the door to have these conversations. But I remember him saying like, I started my first business at 15 and I had a bunch of yeah. failing businesses until like 29 and then I found the right um, one. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, the, the thing, the thing I like to tell creators, because really at heart, that's what I am is a really a couple of words that are kind of my buzzwords. Number one, discipline. Mm -hmm. And not discipline from the standpoint of working hard, because I would argue most creators are very hard workers. Discipline from the standpoint of, you know, you used the word hustle a, a, a few minutes ago. And while I respect that word, and it's kind of the buzzword of our society now, right? I've, I, I worked really hard about it's a year like ago. so American of a thing. Yes. <laughs> And I, and I, I really did. I worked hard about a year ago to totally eradicate that word from my, from my vocabulary. Like you won't see it. it in my content anymore. You, because, you know, when I think of hustle, I think of everything I've done over the last 25 years that hasn't worked. Mm. And so at some point, again, it's the saying, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over expecting a different result. Right. And so it's like, okay, if the hustle and the grind approach isn't working, mm -hmm. then I need to be smart enough and disciplined enough and open-minded enough to go, okay, that isn't working. So I need to move away from that because the real efficient way to build is to move away from what isn't working as quickly as possible. Right. So that you That's can awesome. discover what is. And so, you know, take songwriting. How, you know, how many hundreds of times have you sat down to write a song because you had an idea and it didn't go anywhere? Exactly. What you know as a writer, you're wasting your time to spend two and a half, three weeks on that thing that isn't going anywhere. You're better served moving on. And sometimes what wasn't going anywhere eventually piecemeals into something else that was even greater than what you were trying to push out the door. It's like you could just take that little snippet. It's it's interesting. Yes. One of the songwriters, uh, he was just on Josh Gleave, and he's a writer for like Chris Young, a lot of like bigger country acts, that kind of thing. And he was talking about getting his pub deal. And now he had, once he got his publishing deal, it, he was probably 18 years into the industry, building so many different things, right? Doing some great stuff. But this was the moment, right? And so he applied himself. He said the first year he probably wrote 240 songs or something like that. But then the next year he wrote 140. And then the next year he wrote like 100. And he said he'll probably end up writing about 72 this year. And, and so that's the inner, it's almost like, it's like the push and pull of it, right? Because the knocking around is good for maybe a season. As a creative, you almost have to, Ira Glass talks about, you know, you have this vision, but you can't really, you can just taste it. You can't find it. So you have to go find it. But like, that's what he was sharing. He's like, once I started finding how it worked, I could do less, but get a better yield out of it. And that, that was eye-opening to see that for him. And he's starting to get more and more placements, writing less, but he also did nice. some of that work to figure out what did and didn't work <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's, it, it, that's that phase of exploration. And I feel like we're constantly in that phase. It's just the boundaries change. And so, uh, for instance, mm -hmm. an example I'm going through now is, you know, as, I, as I'm working to build client, my client base and... Um, and, and, and build my consulting business. 
I was talking to a friend the other day who owns a, a B2B marketing agency in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's well through the phases that I've been through in the last couple of years. And so I was just sharing with him some of my goals. I was like, yeah, this year I really want this many clients, this, that, and the other. And to me, the number wasn't that high. And he was like, wow, Mitch, that's a really high number. Can you handle that output? And I was like, hmm. you think that's a high number? And he goes, yeah, man. Like, I think you need to get to the point you cut that in half. Interesting. But it's the same theory. And that is the higher quality of the work and the more opportunity we get, the less output we need because our value go. It's just like with you on touring, you know, if if you're only making five grand a show, you may have to do a hundred shows a year or whatever. Right. Whereas if all of a sudden you're doing 50, 60, 70, 80,000 a show, it's like, oh, we can scale back to 25 shows a year and do some other stuff. Okay, that makes more sense. And, and for those yeah. in business, it's a product thing too. You know, when, when, you're, when, you, you can, when you can expand your profit margin, you can actually pump out less because you're actually making more money from, from a revenue standpoint. And so hmm. where that comes from a creative exploration standpoint is I don't have to have a hundred ideas. I just need to find the three or four ones that are the tip of the spear that I can really focus in on. And just dig and dig, learn, yes. take one step, learn. Yes. So there's and really, a- that's, that's when we become our best. And that's what I meant by discipline a while ago is when we can yeah. stick to that and see it through. That's yeah. That's when we really are at our best. Are you familiar with, uh, an entrepreneur named Naval? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of his last name. I, I have to look it up while we're talking, but he has a great, just a great podcast on essentially building wealth. Um, but it's, it's almost like a whole holistic approach to wealth, like wealth of of relationships, wealth of money, like wealth of mind, all that kind of thing. And he talks about like four kinds of hustle essentially. And, but he talks about the first kind being valuable, but not, but like the least of it. And that's the, you're running around in the beginning, just stirring shit up. Basically (laughs) he's like, in a sense, you're creating opportunities. He's like, it's, it's part of it, but it's, it's honestly, he was saying the least valuable he's like, and then you grow. I can't, it sucks. I can't really remember the two in the middle. (laughs) There's like a progression, but he said, but when you reach this ultimate, he said the ultimate goal and it's harder to get to is, is where it's like the, the hustle for lack of better term of branding. So now you're simply, you're simply becoming exact in an authentic way. You're exactly who you are and you've created so much value out of the output you're bringing that now it's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the world where like, you know, in the beginning it was just like smoking weed with his friends on a podcast. And now suddenly right. he he gets paid 30, you know, million a week or something for that podcast, but he's doing the same output, but the value has become so yeah. much greater. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And the discipline to not do all of those things. What, so as a creative, when you're getting all these ideas and what are your tools that you use to make sure you're not chasing every rabbit trail that's popping up in your head? Uh, notebook and notes. Okay. <laughs> um, there's actually a really cool notebook, um, that exists. Uh, I'm fine. I don't have it with me. I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, it's an idea notebook. And the way, the way this guy set it up is uh, there's like an incubation, uh, section there's, 
a section where you just write down the ideas that come to you. Um, and so a lot of it is if you can get it out of your system. And that's kind of another thing about discipline that I've learned is instead of chasing everything that catches your eye, if you can get it out of your system for a little bit and let it incubate, that also helps you filter what was a good idea and what wasn't. That's true. <laughs> because it gives you perspective. And so, so I use that notebook and then I use the, the notes app, you know, on my iPhone. It's, I probably right. have three or four or 500, you know, things that I just type it. In fact, yesterday I had a three hour uh, road trip and I haven't written music in a while, but for the first time in a while, I had some really cool lyrics come to me. So I just empty those out of my brain into that notebook and I'll come back hmm. to it. And so oftentimes you come back to it and you go, yeah, not such a great idea. You may come back to it and go, wait, what was I thinking then? Or you may come back to it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so for example, for me, um, I, I knew my book is called how to hire and keep great people. I knew that I was playing the long game with that book and that that was going to become a brand in and of itself. So I knew we were going to put out a course. Um, I knew we were going to put out uh, audio, uh, uh, the audio version and the ebook. I knew we were going to create tools and resources for business owners on how to hire and keep great people. So I knew all of that. What I didn't know at the time is that I would be interested in creating a How to Hire and Keep Great People podcast, not just a podcast, but actually a live call-in show where, where leaders can call in and be like, okay, I'm having this issue. Can you help me remedy this? So, I yeah, mean, an incredible awesome. resource for people. I didn't know that at the time. Um, and so a few months ago, that became an idea. I was like, hold on a second. That's actually a really, really good idea. So I wrote that in my notebook that I have. And, uh, and kind of let it sit. Well, then I kind of started, you know, like, like you said, knocking around it. You know, I, I like that idea because you do, you kind of start putting feelers out. You kind of start thinking about it, maybe sharing it with a few others, maybe testing some of the content a little bit. Right. And the more I talk to people about it, the more they're like, wow, that is actually a really, really good idea. And so, huh. but if, if you act on every idea, number one, you'll never do, do an idea well. Number two, you'll probably never see every, you know, you can't see everything through. I mean, science has shown us we can't multitask. Whatever anyone wants to say, our brains are not built to multitask. We so can true. do multiple activities at one time, but we don't give any of them our full attention. Right. And so if we're shooting for quality, then we have to say, okay, that idea isn't, it's not time for that right now. It's going to be time for mm. that later. And so I've been sitting on this, how to hire and keep great people calling show for quite a few months we're hoping to launch it in May, June, potentially. Um, but really, that the reason I haven't launched it yet is because I know it can be something, uh, an incredible resource for people. Something specifically to that topic does not exist in the world right now. And the more I talk to people about the idea, the more they're like, yeah, I would use that. And so yeah, then you go huge. to the business... You go to the business side of it and you go, okay, you would use it. How much would you potentially pay for that? Mm -hmm. So now you're exploring revenue, income, profits to tap your toe in that water. And so I actually have come to learn that the majority of the ideas I get are better served sitting on the back burner for a few months, hmm. ruminating, you know, kind of just incubating, kind of just running through some things, letting me think through it rather than just jumping at it. Because when you jump at it, then you're just going with the wind and it's going to toss right. you to and fro. And you have That's zero great, control over that. 
Yeah, that's a great merging, I think, of the business and the creative side. Uh, because it, it makes me think of songs where there's certain songs where I just, in fact, I need a light, <clears throat> which is on our re-released album that we just yeah. dropped. Um, that song took years to write. Yeah. And it was just one of those, like the hook came out of like nowhere on a piano one night. And yeah. then it took another year to find the other piece and another year to find, and it just, it always just kept coming back around. And there's been a, I don't even, I mean, countless numbers of songs that have popped right. up in between there, but that was one of the ones that just held on. And it was yeah. like kind of that same idea, but that idea keeps coming back and you find a new iteration yeah. of it. Yeah. What a great eye opener. Like it's okay to put on the back burner and, and it's not almost like idea. there's so many opportunities you want to yeah. take them all, but you can't. <laughs> And not every idea is going to be a back burner. I mean, there's ideas that you jump on, you know, and, and I love right. the comparison of, of writing. Um, there, there are times that, in fact, uh, this last weekend I was staying in a motel and um, I was, I, I, I try and take the stairs when I'm in a motel just to, you know, stay physically active. And so one, one small way to stay active. So I was taking the stairs um, and anytime I walk through a stairwell, it reminds me of the song I wrote back years ago, Love is Our Weapon which I wrote the weekend of the Orlando nightclub uh, oh, incident. That, that was my response as a creator to the Orlando nightclub incident. So that story right. is, I was actually traveling at the time with my son, who was a junior in high school at the time. So this is seven, eight years ago, however long ago that was. Uh, he and my dad were on a two-week road trip to take him to football camps because he was working really hard to earn a scholarship to play football. So we were in South Texas. We were actually in Houston and uh, the, the, the time that that happened. And so we had gone to eat. We walked back into the motel. My dad turned the TV on. And of course, that was all over the news. Yeah. I had taken my guitar with me as guitar players do, just so I could have something to do on my spare time. And so I grabbed my guitar and I'm like, okay. And there was just that, that idea of, what is the greatest weapon we can have as humans? How can we truly respond to all this tragedy? And of course, in between then and now, the tragedy tragedy has just amplified, it seems. Um, mm -hmm. And so my response to that was the greatest weapon we have is love. That is the single greatest weapon we have. And so I went to the stairwell of that motel and I just sat there for about an hour and a half and the song came. I mean, it just, it just flowed out. And so you do have those moments, which by the way, you know, my, my old music is still streaming. If anyone wants to go check it out, love is our weapon anywhere you listen to music, but God, I haven't said that in a while since I haven't been playing music for a while, <laughs> but um, turned out to be, in my opinion, one of the greatest songs I've ever written. Um, yeah. It's a song that I wish I could sell to someone because the message of it is just so uh, gut-wrenching and inspiring simultaneously. And when people know what it's about, the backstory, the words just become even more poignant, you know? Mm. And so we are going to have those ideas where it's like, yeah, we have to jump on this. But I would argue that the majority of our ideas are not that. Well, and it's almost, I almost hear you saying that, like, well, and even that moment is about discipline. And I think the more you discipline yeah. yourself to put those ideas on the back burner, the more you've trained your brain and your heart and your gut to notice when it's time, when it's like, oh no, I put a lot on the back burner. I saw where those went, yeah. but I see this thing. I see this song, Love is a Weapon. Now's the time. 
And so in a way, it's almost like the discipline at work, even in the creative response, even in the now moments. So the idea is exactly what you're alluding to. When you, when you can, those ideas that are constantly flowing, when you can just get them out of your system and put them on the, where do you, whether you, again, use a notebook or notes, whatever, put those on that backbone or put them in what I literally call the incubator. It's like, if you have baby chicks, you have to keep them in, you have to keep those, you have to keep it in the incubator, put it in the incubator, let it sit, let it stew. And really what you're doing is you're then making room for when the great idea arrives. Hmm. Whereas if you have, it's like, if you have your office desk and you just have 50,000 pieces of paper of projects or songs or ideas or whatever, when the great idea arrives, you don't have any more room to actually take action. And so when that, that little lyric comes or that business idea comes or that, that dream that you've been thinking of, when that arises in you, get it out of your system take a note of it, write down everything you're thinking about it, detach the emotion from it, just get it out. And then when the great idea arrives, the take action idea, then you have room for that. You, you now have your pinpoint, again, the tip of the arrowhead focus that allows you, it's as sharp as ever, and it allows you to take action when action calls. But if we're just filled up, you know, that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. that I, why I moved away from hustle. I was just going to say, I that was, makes me think of, of that, yes. like hustle is that idea that every fucking, every 30 minutes yep. is blocked yep. out and hearing you say, I almost wanted, when you said to make room for that idea, yes. I almost want to go, yes, <laughs> like just jump that's up. Right. It's like, I think you're, uh, yeah. I cut you off though, but <laughs> oh, you're good. That's, that's but, but that, but that is you're you're identifying exactly what I'm talking about because, and that's why I moved away from the idea of hustle. It was interesting because mm-hmm. I was actually on a podcast a couple of years ago, not long after we recorded the first uh, time I was with you, and I was on a podcast with a a, a lady that um, uh, she's out of uh, Britain or something. I can't remember, but she had been on my show. I was on her show, and we were talking about the idea of hustle. And mm-hmm. that's that conversation is what really ignited me to think deeper and go, okay, what is the real hustle? And then that became, okay, but what is the real work? And that, beca- that becomes even as minuscule as um, what is the real work in this moment? You alluded to it earlier about being fully present. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for some people, the idea of fully present isn't related. It just doesn't make sense. So then it becomes, okay, but what is the real work in this moment? So in this moment, my real work is giving you my best because you're doing great work. You're building a quality show. You want quality guests. And even on top of that, you and I have a brotherhood that I want to honor. Right. And so, you know, someone said about Oprah Winfrey years ago, that, that the greatest thing about Oprah Winfrey is that when you met her, you know, after her show back in the day when she was on TV, um, after her show in the beginning for quite a few years, I don't know, a decade and a half she would actually go through and shake everyone's hand that was in the audience. And she would usually require that every guest that came, you know, if they were able to shake everyone's hand. And I I had, I knew multiple people that went to see the Oprah show. And so I I asked them and I've seen this in interviews, what was the craziest thing about Oprah? And every single time and every book I've read about her and every interview I've seen, everyone says the same thing. The, The craziest thing about Oprah Winfrey is when you meet her, you feel like you're the only person in the room. Wow. So imagine having that type of presence, Mm -hmm. but also that type of focus. 
that when I am encountering another person, they feel like they are the only thing that matters at that point in time. So right. that applies to our ideas, our creativity, what we're building is you said, treat it like your kids. Well, how would you want your kids to be treated? You would want them mm-hmm. to feel like at this moment in time, they are the only thing that matters. Exactly. No, and, that's, but we, but we can't, that's great. we can't take a group of 20 people and individually make them feel like they're, I mean, you know, a really good communicator can come close. And so that led me to go, okay, I don't want the hustle attitude because the hustle right. attitude to me is my dad waking up at six in the morning, going out to the farm, doing a few things before he went to teach school at eight and then to go coach after school and then to come home and change clothes and go back to the farm and work until nine or 10 o'clock. And I had a great childhood and my dad is amazing. And even to this day, we see each other three or four times a week. But at the same time, when someone says hustle, what I hear is, oh, I have to work 15 hours a day. Mm. And that's the only way to success. It's true. It is true. And that's, that's interesting too, because I use a hashtag that often that means a lot to me is do the work and yeah and uh but i started changing it and i don't know if it means anything to anyone else it's just my own internal process that i just put out in the world and i've been starting to use love the work because there's a way you can do the work but honestly not love it anymore you know and 100 percent. and that's kind of what what i hear in there it's it's interesting though like the space uh, are you familiar? It's a book called Scarcity. I am blanking on. I've seen it, uh, never read it. The name yeah. of the author. It's a great book. And one of the things they one of the things they chronicle is this hospital. This hospital that's starting to see they're starting to lose patients. I mean, people are literally dying because they cannot uh, take care of everybody. Like wow. that's coming through the doors. And uh, I don't know if it's a consultant group or somebody new comes in and starts to do an assessment. And what they realize is they needed to take their, they needed to keep 20% capacity open at all times as a discipline. And of course for them, it was a shock because they're like, we're not even keeping up now. Like what, what are you saying? (laughs) This is insane. But what they found was they didn't have any space. So they were always running appointments at like their regular stuff in the hospital at capacity. So when emergencies came in, they never had any space. And over time, by doing less, they actually accomplish more and we're literally saving lives. And uh, it makes me, it's funny too, even today I was reflecting like, what what in the world, like I find myself still packing out my day yet again when I was trying to discipline myself not to do it. Um, And I was like, I might as well just go get a nine to five job and (laughs) and do the salary thing if that's all I'm going to do and I'm going to be frustrated about it. It's like, where is that space? And are we disciplining ourselves to make so, that happen? Lack of capacity, uh, to me, to me, the greatest result of lack of capacity is loss of joy, mm. which is, and that's know, why that really, love the work kind of changed for me yeah, because I was like, that's where you're going I don't have that. joy. I just want to throw the fucking keyboard out the window. <laughs> and what, you know, what is creativity or art? And by the way, for people listening, when I use the word art, I include business. In fact, one of, one of my mantras is business is art. I agree. That's why I think this podcast for me works because I yeah. can talk to entrepreneurs and artists. I think of it almost yeah. one in the same. So <laughs> it is, it is. But what, but what, what good is the creativity flowing within you if you don't enjoy it? 
You know, I had, I had someone, uh, my book that released in 2018, which was back when I still wrote spiritual inspirational books. Um, it was called the gathering place. And I had a guy who was a mentor at the time. Um, he made a statement to me that really, I didn't know it. You know, it was one of those statements that you, that someone says to you and you don't, you just don't have the ability to understand it at the time. Mm-hmm. And it actually, I didn't understand it so much that it really pissed me off when he said it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, he, this was probably in 20, I don't know, 2013, 14, 15. I don't know how, when it was, but quite a while ago. I was telling him about this book and we were having lunch one day and he looked at me and he goes, Mitch, have you ever considered that this book may not be for anyone else, but you. Hmm. And it really offended me because I was trying to write books to sell, not for my own. (laughs) And I don't know that he knew how to communicate it well enough at the time, but, but really what I've taken from that, that proposition over the last eight, 10 years is that the real joy in the work is doing it because it fulfills you, Hmm. not because it fulfills someone else. And far too often, especially as creators, business people, entrepreneurs, we're so focused on creating things to create revenue that we actually lose the ability and the capacity to be fulfilled at what we've done. Right. But really, as an artist, the, the greatest compliment we can give ourselves is to create something and go, wow, that's amazing. You feel that is proud of awesome. it. Yeah. That, that's, that's more than any revenue you're going to make from it. And, and I would argue, and I'm learning in life, that the more I can focus on doing things that I enjoy, not worried so much about what I think the results should be, not worried if I'm going to mm. sell you know, 50,000 copies of my book or whatever. Just like this new podcast, How to Hire and Keep Great People, hopefully the Colin Show. <laughs> um, it's, been, it's been really interesting for me because while I'm getting feelers to see who can benefit from it, I'm truly looking at it going, wow, this can be a multiplier on how many people I can help. And guess what I get the greatest joy from in life? I always have my entire life inspiring others to live more meaningful, deeper lives. Since mm-hmm. I was 10 years old, that's all I wanted to do. Back then it was to become a pastor because that's how I interpreted the dream. But that's still, even through all those years of touring and doing music, through writing books, through everything I've done, I've always done it from the perspective of my greatest fulfillment. And that is, if I can inspire someone to consider a thought they've never considered before, then I feel really, really good. Right. My hope is that that can turn into, you know, really nice revenue, build a great business, because I think doing good in the world matters. But at the end of the end of the day, I have to be okay with, if that doesn't come to fruition, I've still given my best to the work. Because the work for me is to inspire people to live more meaningful and deeper lives. It's conversations like this. And that is, that is the greatest thing I've learned from Thich Nhat Hanh. Is it's yeah, not that's, about that's great. It's, yeah, it's not about worrying about if I sell ten thousand records. That's not the win. That's that's the bonus. Well, the and that's win. the thing we can't control at the end of the day yes. anyway, right? All we can control is our particular output and our mindset, right? And yeah. it's funny because uh, a mentor of mine, 
I was, you know, lamenting, uh, very similar as like right before the podcast, I was telling you, it's like, yeah, I put, it seems like every day I put something out, then the next, later that night, I feel like the biggest loser in the world, I should quit. Right. And it's like, I, I, I know then I just need to go to sleep and <laughs> we, we, right. I need some rest. I'm going to wake up the next morning and I'll feel better. But, uh, you know, his challenge to me was, it, it is more not even a challenge. He just shared, he said, whenever he finds himself in that place, getting to that darker depressive place, he realizes most often he is focused on the results and not the process. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and so like, am I doing, are we doing the things we know we're supposed to be doing? And are we doing them consistently? Are we putting our heart into them? And, and it seems like the, a common theme that's starting to pop up and you're hitting on it here too, is this idea of authenticity. It seems like it doesn't matter the field you're in authenticity is honestly i think what the world's hungering for you even see on like TikTok, where it's like you get this like sheen TikTok where they puts all this energy into it and doesn't sometimes doesn't perform as well as them like cooking dinner and talking about something <laughs> where it's right. like people right. are hungry for like something real and maybe they've always been yeah. but i feel like now it's almost extra because i feel like there's a way to fake so many things nowadays um yeah. people just want that that real authentic thing um when when we think about i know one thing we want to talk about so for the listener uh who's just joined the podcast mitch was on the podcast uh about a year ago and i'll put that link for that one he shares his great his, his incredible story of getting where he is a story of losing his own voice uh physically and how that propelled him into a whole new career uh really cool uh thing so definitely go hit the link check that out when you're done here uh, but one thing we talked about was creating a culture of creativity, um, which I think applies to, uh, I think there's a lot of folks listening who are like younger in the journey as far as bands, uh, but there's also some other entrepreneurs. I know of like a teacher and those kind of things who are, who are listening. So I wonder if, I wonder for you, I guess the challenge I'm going to throw out to you is like, what does it look like if you can apply it somehow to where it would, if you're leading a band or if you're leading a classroom or even you're leading a small startup business, what does it look like to foster, foster a culture that honors these things, discipline, creativity, and sometimes the necessary risk-taking, like all those things, what does it look like for that person to, to foster that, that culture? Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting. It's, uh, and you and I've talked a lot, um, it just in our conversations specifically about bands and, um, oftentimes we kind of alluded to it earlier. Oftentimes the, the industry of the arts, music, uh, writing, poetry, um, speaking, et cetera, uh, we're not great at the business side of things. We're, we're, we're not great at understanding that business is art and it must be a really foundational pillar of what we're building. And, right. um, and so you, you almost have to back up a little bit and go, okay, a, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, because, you know, and I, and I say this to anyone, no matter it's industry wide, because it's a human behavior element. And that is, if you don't know your why, what you're going to find yourself in the middle of is a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether it's a classroom teacher, I mean, boy, you talk about people that really need to know their why currently right. it's classroom <laughs> teachers, especially after and, the last two years. I mean, everyone gosh. had two years of hell in a lot of ways, but yeah. damn, <laughs> but really that's, um, 
that's really a perfect picture of why we have to know our why. And that's, you know, a lot of people say we're in the middle of the great resignation. Um, I have my arguments on that for, a, that'll say for a different conversation, but the reason we're right. seeing the great resignation isn't because people don't want to work. It's because their understanding and all of a sudden coming to the realization that, oh my gosh, I don't have to work at a crappy job anymore. Like <laughs> I don't have to settle. I don't have to settle. And so that is discovering their why. And, and so, you know, my encouragement to, especially when we're dealing with the creative industries, if someone has a band, if someone is starting a business, first of all, you have to know your why. And that is not just for the leader. That's for everyone involved. Mm. And so there has to be a why for everyone coming to the table, whether you're uh, uh, beginning a new startup business, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're a, a band or whatever you're doing, you have to give people the opportunity to, to understand their why, discover their why, and hang on and build on that why. Because if everyone at the table doesn't understand why they are there personally, they're never going to understand the existence of the whole. And that's it's huge impossible. too, because I I've been in a lot of environments, especially in nonprofit world, where they want your why to be the company their why. why. Yeah. Yes, the organization's yep. why, um, and it that works for a brief time, but overall, right. yeah, I, I like that you you hit on that personal. It's like, what's yes. their personal why? How does it fit in the umbrella of the organization? The best way to build a team slash a community slash a business slash a band, whatever. The best way to build it is that you allow everyone to bring their authenticity fully to the community. Hmm. Well, that authenticity is founded on your why. Miguel, why do you think you exist as a human? Why do you love doing music? What is your passion about that? That response is going to be different from Daniel, the drummer, different right. from it's, it's just going to be it's going to be different from the booking manager. You know, booking manager isn't going to have the same why and passion that the musicians do because they're doing something totally different. Right. And so when you begin to look at it that way and you go, okay, I need everyone. I'm inviting everyone to the table within their full authenticity. That is the single best way to build a community because then all of a sudden everyone is empowered to actually do what they love doing. We're talking about, you know, for 30 minutes, we talked about enjoying the work. Well, it's really hard to enjoy the work when you're, when you're, you know, a slave to someone else's authenticity. Hmm. It's really hard to enjoy the work because just like you alluded right. to with, you know, nonprofits, I'm, I'm assuming you're probably pushing back on, you know, on your church work history. I experienced right. that as well in that industry, but you're right. It's like, well, we exist, you know, in the church religion industry, it's, we exist for this reason. And if you don't buy into this reason, then you're not welcome. Right. That is the exact opposite of what we're talking about when we talk about building a healthy community. And so mm -hmm. let's just take bands further. If every person in that band, say it's a five-member band, can all of a sudden come to the table each day within their full authenticity, it totally changes the conversation of what's at play. Right. And so when you have that total authenticity and everyone has that empowerment to function within that and bring to the table. Now, let me add, there needs to be constant check-ins on that authenticity. It's not the a one-time authenticity. Yes, Making it's not sure that, that it's that's exactly right. Where are you functioning? How are you feeling? How are you feeling with the direction we're going? Because as a whole, now as a community and a team, we can decide what the authenticity of the community is. Hmm. That's very different from everyone's personal value, personal 
passion, personal why, it adds to and becomes an element in the DNA of the community. But the community can have a very different type of authenticity as a whole than each person does. But isn't that what makes it great? I mean, does it, it makes it so much better. I mean, you know, right. dude, just, let's just go to shows and tours and concerts. It's a whole lot more fun to play with a band than it is just me on the stage with my guitar. Oh yeah. That's one reason I, the band's back. Yeah. A whole <laughs> I lot did more one fun. solo tour for like, oh, it was about two and a half, three weeks on the road. I was like, this shit sucks. I'm so yeah. like, I love the shows, but the in-between of everything other than like the two hours at the venue was just brutal. Yeah. Like, but what, what's crazy is you hear the same thing. You know, I've talked to a lot of artists who either are in a band, go back to acoustic, remain acoustic simultaneously. I talked to a lot of business owners who don't have partners, don't have investors. And guess what? When you ask them why they usually give the same response, because I don't want to deal with anyone else hmm. because it's too much of a trouble to deal with someone else. It's too much trouble to have other partners. It's okay. So Really, what they're giving you is a reflection of their soul, not others. What right. they're really saying is, I just don't want to give in to a community. Because, yes, it does take a lot of work. But the point is, the reason it's more fun to play a show with a band is because when you have others at the table lending their voice, yes, it totally takes you to a different level. You cannot achieve on your own what you can achieve inside of a successful community. It's impossible. It just well, it's interesting work. when you think about a uh, powerful business um, or a band itself, it, it becomes something bigger than any one person in the organization, yes. you know? And yes. um, I think that that's been what's interesting, you know, even for me, that's, that's another driver of like hearing feedback from fans as I was promoting my solo stuff and all the feedback was about, Hey, you remember when you were at the campus doing right. this and they had videos from like four or five years ago of us on tour. And I was like, it hit me. It's like, this is bigger. When we come together, it's, it's something bigger than, than me, than Daniel, than, than Matt, than anyone else who's involved behind the scenes. It's like, it's everyone together. And honestly, and I, I think, even with the business, it's, it's like, if you make it as a group, I'm kind of riffing out loud. Sorry. <laughs> you got no, my brain good. turning. Um, it's something it's easier to be proud of because you're not taking like the selfish, uh, pride necessarily, which I, I think pride in yourself is a good thing, but it can go to like, I guess, arrogance and, um, and hubris, I guess. But now it's like, when I'm proud of what we do, it, it's a, it's a different thing. It's not, I'm proud of Miguel. Look how awesome I am. It's like, right. look, look what we did. Look what we're doing. Look what's happening. And I, I wonder, do you find it easier? Cause you've lived in, in both these worlds. Do you find that easier to accomplish in a band or easier to accomplish in a business? It's equal. It's equal because you're dealing with humans. You're dealing with humans that have ideas. <laughs> They're the same everywhere. <laughs> there is no difference. You know, there is no difference. And and it really, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it's, it's been, gosh, three years now since I've um, actively played music, since I lost my voice. And I was actually talking to a guy that used to play drums for me um, a couple of days ago. And he, he was kind of updating me. He, he has stayed really active in different bands, et cetera, et cetera. He's just kind of a music geek. And 
um, single, doesn't have a family and just kind of, you know, uh, doesn't have much kind of holding him back. And so he gets to play in like four bands at a time and stuff like right. that. Um, <laughs> and so That's we were Daniel talking, our and, drummer is. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was sharing with me some frustrations that he was having with a particular band. And he was like, his statement was, he said, you know, when we first began, you know, the artists that we're playing for really gave us some freedom to kind of add to the music and kind of bring our own taste. And he said, really, they've added a few, few more members. And so the more members they've added, the less we've ha had some creative input. Hmm. So I was just listening to him and I said, you know, I said, that was one thing I really prided myself on over the years. Um, gosh, I guess I played and toured for almost 10 years, really. And one thing I really prided myself on was when I brought musicians to the table to be in my band was I wanted them to be, you know, I, I went through, you know, I don't know, because life ebbs and flows, probably 15, 20 different musicians over the years. Um, and some of the songs that we played, because I, I'm a writer, so everything was original. What you heard 10 years ago was very different than what you heard yeah. two years from then, five years from then, just simply because of musicians. But what I prided myself on was, hey, here's the song. I want to hear your style. I want to hear what mm -hmm. you bring to the table because my thought always was, and I applied this to business and here's my correlation. I want at the table, a team of entrepreneurs, independent thinkers, artists, creatives. I don't want at the table robots. I don't want at the table people who are just buying into what I'm selling. Mm -hmm. I want people at the table that are going to push back. We're going to have arguments. We're going to have disagreements, but at the end of the day, we know we're looking out for the best in each other. That's why we're pushing each other. And so that's what I prided myself on in both business and in the band. And so my statement to this guy was, you know, I really prided myself on bringing people in that could contribute. And he goes, Mitch, he goes, you're one of the favorite people I ever played with because you never told me something was wrong. You never told me not to do it this way. You actually said, I want your contribution because <laughs> guess what? I get the most joy out of, especially in playing music is creating. So why am I going to bring people in that can't create? Guess what I enjoy about doing business is creating business. So why am I going to bring, right. bring people in that don't create? Why am I not going to give them the freedom? Hey, social media manager, here's my parameters. My parameters are represent us well. Here's the product and here's what we're trying to do. Other than that, create. That's right. what I'm paying you for. And, and so often I see business leaders, bands, whoever, who get to a point where they stifle the growth of the community because mm. they begin to get insecure and fear the creativity of others. And I really see it in business. You know, constantly people will ask, well, if I hire all these great people and build this great team, they may be better than I am. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, I, and I did really dig into that and learn that as a musician because I would bring out, you know, I, I was never a great vocalist. And I knew that about myself. And I would bring other vocalists in that sang circles around me. But I loved that because, A, I got a chance to help another artist. And, B, it just made the band better. I mean, when the other band members would look and go, hey, Mitch, can they sing more of the songs? Like, sure. Like, I'm totally <laughs> good with that. But it, but it does, you know, at the end of the day, where I was going to go way earlier in this conversation is at the end of the day, I have to be okay with who I am. Hmm. 
And when I can learn to, and, and I'm, I'm saying that like, it's easy, by the way, it's not. And I don't believe it's a process that ever ends because we're constantly right. evolving and learning. But at the end of the day, if I can be okay with my full authenticity and who I am, and I have a saying, if I can rest in that, then I'm not worried about who else is at the table from the standpoint of insecurity. In fact, I want the highest quality people possible. Mm. I want the independent thinkers. I want the creatives. I want a team of people on my business team that have dreams of being entrepreneurs themselves. I want to push them and grow them out the door. I want to help them learn as much as they can here and be an incubator for them going on and doing great things. So the idea is if I, if I bring on that type of person, if I surround myself with that, those type of people, I'm going to become better because they're going to push me. But I'm also going to be able to do greater work because I have a community of people that is so high quality. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. I think so many people's frustrations is because they're settling for who they surround themselves with. They're not being pushed. They're not being held accountable and they have no one around them going, oh yeah, that crazy dream you had. No, I'm not going to let you settle. You're going to go get that. Well, it's essential to, I think, you know, when you have a better musician in your band than yourself, you know, or you're working with a producer that has years on you and experience, it, it makes you think differently. You know, that's when my wife even said we were looking to do our album here in town and but we had some really good connects in Nashville. She's like, you should just go out there for a week. Cause and she said, she's like, every time you come back, you're so excited again. Because what happened was is I was around people who were kicking my ass. Not purposely. Yeah, they were just right. doing them. But them was like 10, 20, 50 steps ahead of where I was. And they're just like making burritos in the in the microwave over lunch and then walking in and literally writing gold records. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but yeah, like I, I like that, that we're often because we settle, I, I forget how you said it. We settle for, yeah, for do. the people around us. How did you say it? Yeah. We, we settle for a lesser quality people around us because right. of our insecurity. And I don't mean that I'm not, I'm not insulting others. When I say that, what I mean mm-hmm. is, if you are a dreamer, you need to surround yourself with people that are greater dreamers than you are. Yeah. If, if you're the, it's like the old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you have a problem. Yeah. I saw someone and touting I, that on Facebook. I'm always the smartest person in the room. It's like, well, that sucks. Yeah. That tells a lot about that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And so the, you know, I love your thought about Nashville when you walk in. It, it, the, the other thing I've realized is the, the greater quality of person even though they may be way more skillful than you, way more talented, they're normally at such a level of thought and emotion that they never look down on you. It's like, it's like the same thing as when someone starts going to the gym. We're all mm-hmm. intimidated to go to the gym. I've been right. going to the gym pretty solid four or five days a week for five years now. And there's still moments I walk in the gym and go, e. Nope, not wearing a tank top. Like I don't wear tank tops and you know, I'm in <laughs> right. really good shape and I still don't wear tank. And so <laughs> What's funny is the people that have been going to the gym for years, the muscle heads, the people that are in really good shape, they're the last person to look at you and go, oh, what's wrong with that person? Yeah. It's the people that usually don't they know be- what it takes, you know, yes. to see. That's what I was, yes. I was shared with someone. I saw a, a fairly overweight uh, person running like they had like their, their sweats on and they're running. And I, I told somebody else, cause like I am 
super into like running and fitness and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's like every time I see that, I feel like I, I want to yell out the window, hell yeah. But I know that would not be productive, like at least right. from feedback I've gotten from other people. I've never done it. But it makes me want to because it's like I know what it takes to not not that full journey, but I know like to be fit, it, it takes a lot of internal yes. struggle. And so I know for them, it's got to be even more compounded and for the fact that they're just out there, you know, and that's a, the, the people we, we have been lucky enough to be around. Uh, that is, it's, it's almost like their perspective. Like they're, they're like, hell yeah, man, keep going. That's good. That's yeah, tough. That's exactly you got right. A long road, but keep doing it. Well, because they have traveled it, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not born and can all of a sudden play the guitar like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. Like Stevie Ray Vaughan at one point in his life was not a guitar God. You know, yeah. Jimi Hendrix at one point, now they may have been like three, but at one point in their lives, they were not good. To, you know, Adele didn't come out of her mother's womb and was able to sing the, you know, it just, they've gone through the journey and guess what? They're mm -hmm. still going through the journey, you know, for, for those of them that are still with us in this life, there's still a journey. And what's even crazier is the people who we think are masters and what we want to master they have someone that they look at who's a master, who they Absolutely. aren't as good as. And so every that's what's crazy is, and, and social media has just magnified this, but that's what's crazy is everyone you look up to looks up to someone else. And mm -hmm. so what that tells me is we're all on the same plane. Yeah. It's well, just some of I don't know if you've seen it in the, I'm sorry, listeners, you probably heard me reference it for the last like seven episodes, but the documentary uh, with Kanye West on Netflix, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's called Yeezus um our genius yeah genius um it shows like someone started filming him 21 years ago yeah. like him making beats in his living room yeah. and shows the journey of like people kind of treating him like trash like yeah. like oh whatever get my beats to me man like some rapper we'll never hear of and they're just like right. talking to him like you know he's their producer servant and it's it's a fascinating and honestly that that documentary is a fascinating ride over everything we've talked about like even down to like what is the real work and in the end uh do you want your life to implode on you right. <laughs> those, right. those kind of things yeah. and it shows yeah. the rise and the fall it it's it's yeah. a very eye-opening uh journey for it but that's it's really cool though that that perspective of of taking people inviting them in i of like people who are stronger, but I also think to, to your idea, the resonation, right? Mm -hmm. Great resonation. I think what we're, we're finding in there too, is people surrounded themselves maybe with great people, but the way that they have led the way that they yes. chose to lead yeah. showed those great people, they are not allowed to bring their greatness here. And so before yes. people would just stifle it where now I think they feel the freedom to say, okay, fine, I'm going to go find a place. Yeah. And so I, I think it's interesting, your particular like brand and, and focus and your book and the things you put out, like, especially on LinkedIn is where I see you a lot. Um, it's, it's almost a perfect timing, I think, because I think yeah. the world over the last two years, so many people's eyes opened and now you have this huge opportunity to help right. leaders who, right. who maybe been the ones who squelched that greatness to invite people into greatness. So I, I listen to you talk. I'm like, damn, this is just such perfect timing. I know you were just doing your thing and the world, yeah. you know, the world ended and restarted multiple times <laughs> in the right. process. Right. I, I know you weren't like seeking in a, in an opportunistic way, but I really feel like your voice 
and these things you're talking about are essential in really the way organizations are going to have to operate in the future. And even just listening to you, it just made me realize like I expedited our why process in the band because we had a lot of shit to do. Right. So that's my type A driving. Let's go. Um, I know the guys really well. And so I, I delineated like our distilled a, a why that I put down on paper for us as we, but it, it makes me wonder like where they all, we all talk through it and they're all like, yes, I connect with that. But even then it just reminds me like, don't be that dream killer where, what is their actual personal why, yeah. uh, behind yeah. it? Cause yeah, we all found like the common ground, but still there's other drivers for us. And yeah. so even as a leader myself reminds me to do that. And anyone listening, if you're leading, yeah, listen to these words. This is some good stuff <laughs> that, yeah, that and, you're, you're spitting out my man. And, and the biggest, first of all, thank you. The, the biggest motivating factor is the higher quality of people you surround yourself with, the less time they waste dealing with your BS. That's <laughs> true. And, and they're so, going to call you out on it. Yes, or leave. Like, or because leave, yes. They, because they have the audacity within their authenticity to not put, put up with your BS, period. No, Sandra, but, and I learned right. that. I don't talk about this in the book. I share quite a few experiences, but I did learn that decades ago when I first got into business in my early 20s was you know, I was really ambitious to hire higher quality people to bring on higher quality people. And I, and I did, but what I learned really quickly was if I didn't have all of my stuff together and do things the right way, they weren't, they weren't going to waste their time because, yep. you know, I, I was in high fashion retail at the time, you know, stores that were in the mall. Well, what I learned really quickly after it happened a few times is these higher quality people are also constantly getting recruited. Yep. And so Bath and Body Works is going to take my assistant manager away if I don't do things the right way. And, and I think that's also what leads to the insecurity of many leaders is they've gotten burned on some of those things. And, so, and I've, I've actually, I've, I have a client on my roster right now, a small business client, and we were talking about that exact, exact scenario a few months ago. And, and this person said, you know, I'm really pushing this person to recruit some higher quality people, teaching them how. Uh, we just had a meeting with their management team last week, went great. But what's funny is early on in this, in this kind of journey with them, his rebuttal was, well, one time we hired a guy who two months after we hired him left for another company. Never consider, you know, so I was like, okay, so why do you think that person left? And, and this leader was like, well, I, you know, I don't know. I guess they found a better, op, you know, you know, better opportunity. And so that's where I talk about the idea of internal reflection, which is the, in my opinion, the greatest element of a great leader is they're able to take a scenario, scenario like that and go, well, I hired a higher quality person outside. I recruited them on, I paid them really well. And two months later they leave a great leader is going to look at that and go, oh my gosh, what did I, what do I not have? Mm. What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And then even go to that person and go, I need your honesty. That's bringing that full authenticity to the table. But I know from working with this business now for a while, they don't, they're getting it, but they didn't or don't have the culture that has the capacity for greatness. So is it a culture of, of questions or a culture of humility that you're encouraging people towards? So it is a culture of openness from the standpoint of... I want the best people I can possibly find. 
And I am going to let them, I'm going to create enough space and freedom for them to thrive within themselves. They get to bring to the table what, and again, yes, we have our parameters, we have our objectives, we're trying to get certain things done. But, but within that, they get to bring their fullness to the table because it's just like you, we see it in sports constantly. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., for those of you that don't know football, he's a National Football League player. Odell Beckham, Beckham Jr. was in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns. It didn't go well. It was very dramatic. He all of a sudden goes to the Los Angeles, to the whatever the city they're in now, the Rams, Los Angeles, <laughs> wherever. And not only does he thrive, he wins a Super Bowl. And before he got injured in the Super Bowl this past year, he was the leading receiver in the game. So take mm-hmm. those two dichotomies. In Cleveland, it was drama. Odell Beckham Jr. can't thrive, can't succeed, whatever, whatever. Well, what are the Cleveland Browns known for? For those are, that aren't football fans, the Cleveland Browns are known for drama and not understanding <laughs> how to run a team. They're just their fans <laughs> literally wear brown bags over their heads. That's how embarrassing they are. He goes to the Rams, <laughs> who have a thriving culture, an innovative coach. They just have this culture of winning. And all of a sudden he's one of the best receivers in the league again. Hmm. That's the example of what I'm talking about. Dependent on your culture, you are either going to be able to attract and keep amazing people, aka band members, whoever. Or you're going to cause a lot of confusion and turmoil. And those great people will find a reason to leave quicker than they'll find a reason to stay. And so the question becomes, I'm going to, I'm going to really encapsulate this into one question. And, And it's kind of what you said about, you know, rethinking your band and how you've kind of led that. The really, the one question you can ask is what would you like to bring to the table? That's really the question a leader can ask themselves, but importantly, ask the people around them. What do you want to bring to the table? At the end of every day, what do you want to take pride in? So you're shifting the onus of the spotlight away from the business, the community at whole, and you're going, I need you to take part fully in this community. But only you can do that at the end of the day. So the question becomes, what do you want to bring to the table? What do you want to be known for? How do you want to impact this community at large? A great high quality type of personality is going to say, I'm going to bring A, B, and C to the table. And you can count on it every single day. Hmm. A person that doesn't quite have that maturity yet is going to say, well, I'm not sure. What would you like me to bring? By the way, for people hiring, don't hire those people. (laughs) They're not quite ready for it. You want the people that go, hey, Miguel, I'm going to bring ABC. Every band practice, I'm going to make sure that my equipment's set up. I'm going to make sure I bring my best. I'm going to practice 10 hours a week. I want to help contribute to the songwriting. Aren't you more intrigued with that band member all of a sudden? Yeah, absolutely. So the simple question is, what would you like to bring to the table? Because here's the great thing about leadership. Hmm. All leadership is, is holding people accountable to what they've committed to. That's all leadership is. It's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. And so when I say, hey, Miguel, welcome to our community. What would you like to bring to the table? And you give me a response and a story. All I'm doing now as a leader is empowering that story and holding you accountable to that story. That's all I'm doing. It's as simple as that. Yep. And so if leaders would function, if they would function from that perspective, it's not about control. 
It's about empowering and holding people accountable. Accountable to what? To the story they've told you. That's all it is. When you can function from that, leadership becomes fun. It becomes engaging. It becomes enjoyable. And you go to bed at night with your mind not constantly turning, but rather going, wow, I've got a great team. Today was challenging. We couldn't get the song written. We lost five gigs. We you know, didn't hit our 10% growth for the quarter or whatever, but I know I have a great team and I know we're going to deliver. You take full confidence in that community. Yeah. Dang, what would you like to bring to the table? I love that. And unfortunately, I, we got to end. This is a great conversation, uh, but <laughs> I, we went over a little bit. So I apologize for your time, uh, but oh, it, it was just so good. But I, I think that's a great place to end. Uh, what would you like to bring to the table, asking the people around? Um, you know, it, it makes me wonder how do you apply that, you know, in, in every relationship around, yes. you know, or what do you feel like you have to offer? What What's the value you can bring? Um, different iterations of that. That's that's really cool, man. Let everyone know how they can connect with you. And uh, I'll also include that in, in the notes as well. Cool. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is where I live mostly on social. Uh, just look up Mitch Gray, G-R-A-Y. Uh, I, I am on Twitter and Instagram, M Gray Media, again, G-R-A-Y. Uh, our new website, recruitgreatpeople.com. Tons of free resources, et cetera, et cetera. We also have a great new course out. If there are some leaders that they're like, hey, I want more of this. Um, we'll put something in the show notes. People can get a 30% off on that and we'll give them a code. I think it's how to hire now or something like that. So okay. we'll put that link in the show notes. They can go to the course, take it. I talk about all this stuff and <laughs> show you how to do it in the course. And then the book, how to iron, keep great people available anywhere. So, uh, order that. And I am, uh, I do have some openings for clients. And so if there is someone, even, even a band leader, if someone's like, yeah, we want to work on our culture and build a sustainable foundation, we don't want to be that band that ebbs and flows. We want to be legitimate. Um, I think it is incredibly important. And again, with my experience and background in music, it is so important to be able to build a culture and learn how to lead and develop a team. And so um, even if there are bands that are like, hey, we'd love to work with you and, and bring you in to do some consulting, I would love to do that as well. So we can uh, talk about that and create something special for whoever. Yeah, love it. That's awesome, man. But yeah, like I said, I, I really feel like you're, your voice is a very, you're positioned well to help a lot of people in this changing environment all around because, because yeah, I think the world, whether nonprofit, whether the, what'd you call it? The religion industry or yeah, yeah, is what that a, what you, ministry I, industry? I've been, I've been away from this for so long, dude. I don't even know what to call it. Right. Know, I do want to, I do want to say what you're saying. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do want to say, because you just, you just mentioned it, everything that I teach and what I believe fully, uh, it's just human behavior stuff, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I, one, one thing I remember specifically, you were actually, for people that don't know, you were on my advanced reader team for my book. So you got to read that behind the Which curtains. Cool. That was fun. And, and one comment you made, I'll never forget, man, you go, you said, man, I'm not in business necessarily right now, but this actually made me a better dad. Yeah. It and did. I actually, I actually this took that, that piece. <laughs> yeah. That, that was in our uh, Google docs. And I, I kept that statement because because that, that actually proved what I am motivated by is that, yes, I wrap it as how to hire and keep great people, how to develop your business. But really, everything I teach, you can use it as a parent. You can use it as a partner. You can use it for a band. You can use it in the classroom. Because everything I do is based on human behavior. You have to remember, I spent the, the first part of my life being a pastor. So my biggest motivation is to help people at that deep level. 
And so, uh, so anyway, I just want to affirm what you're saying is that, yeah, everything that I'm doing is going to help you in some way, um, regardless of your position in life. Yeah. Right. And I do think, uh, there's that, the movie, we are soldiers with Mel Gibson and, uh, one of his lieutenants was getting ready to have a baby. And I don't don't know if you remember the scene, he's in the, in the chapel praying and Mel Gibson comes walking in and, uh, he asks him, he's like, how do you balance being a good soldier versus being a good dad? And, and I'll never forget his response. He basically says, he's like, I feel like being good at one makes me great at the other. Yes. And, and I do think it's got to be that holistic growth uh, in general. So that's totally. that's huge. I love that. You have that focus. And yeah, you, you have a great day. Thanks for making the time, man. Awesome. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.